The following audio message by Dudley Hall is presented by Kerygma Ventures. More information is available at www.kerygmaventures.com. Well, Glory, this is Dudley. Great to be back with you again. I really have been looking forward to being with you. This is uh, such an important topic I want to talk to you about. Hey, uh, if you have not already registered for the EPIC conference, the 23rd through the 25th, you, you need to put this on hold and go do that right now. Call our office, register. It will be the best conference you've been to in years. And so just go. It, it will be about the gospel. It will be some of the best preaching you've heard, the best worship you've ever experienced. The breakout sessions are fabulous as we apply the, the story of the gospel to different aspects of life. So you really need to do that. It's held at the uh, Lighthouse Christian Fellowship in Prosper. And we have hotels that uh, are, are around that are cooperating with us. So please, please, you you will not regret being a part of that conference. So go go do that. Hey, the, uh, the recommended resource this month is uh, a, a, a teaching, a set of teachings that I did uh, not too long ago called uh, Grace Applied. Walking in Ultimate Freedom. We have it in both uh, DVDs and in disc. So you get the video, audio, and it is uh, several uh, teachings about how to apply the grace of God. So uh, order that and get it. Listen to it. Let your friends and family be a part of it. Now let me apologize to begin with because I have picked up here in Texas somewhere a cough. And I have tried to get it calmed down so I could talk to you without coughing in your face. But if I have to turn away and cough for a minute, just hang on. I'll be back. I don't think I'm dying. And for those of you who are listening, uh, I know I've referenced the fact that we're videoing now. And uh, so you may not know what I'm talking about. But yeah, you can get the video as well as the audio. You can go uh, to our website. It's the best place to get it. It's YouTube. Uh, that way you can see my beautiful, beautiful face. That'll make you cough uh, as we talk together. And and it's a good venue to showing other people, small groups or whatever. Okay, so what are we going to talk about? What am I excited about? I'm excited about the, 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 uh, the understanding, the insight of what it means to be forgiven. There's just lots of talk today about identity. You got to know who you are. There's identity politics. There's everybody's confused about how, how we determine, well, not everybody, but there's lots of confusion about how do you determine who you are? And I want to tell you, there's a, there's a prior question. You see in, uh, in ancient times, when people were living in hostile lands, there was something more important to them than who you are. And uh, that question would be, who are you in covenant with? Because very few individuals and nations were strong enough to go against the real powers, the strong powers. And so there would have to be some people who would get together and make covenant with someone greater than they so that they would have a chance to survive and thrive. And so 
who you were in covenant with was more important than who you are. Because you might show up and go, well, here's who I am. And they'll go, you know, what meaning that to me? Who are you in covenant with? Uh, we see shadows of it today of, you know, going into big business deals and guys are coming in to make a, a big transition. It's like, well, who are you bringing with you? Well, we're bringing AIG or we're bringing Bank of America. Or, you know, they're, they're our backers. Gangs do it all the time, you know. One guy shows up and he makes his statement, but when he does, they understand he's in covenant with a bunch of other guys. So I, I want to talk about the great dynamic of forgiveness in terms of covenant. And the scripture we'll use is uh, in the New Testament out of uh, Hebrews chapter 8. And the book of Hebrews is all about showing how the new covenant is better than and a fulfillment of the old covenant. So here's what it says. I, I have to, for the second time, just break into the conversation, but you'll get it. This is chapter 8, verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says. Now here's a quote out of uh, Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. And so here are the, here are the promises. I will put my laws into their minds and I'll write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and remember their sins no more. Now what I want you to see out of that text is that those first three benefits of this new covenant, the promises of the new covenant, are based on the fourth one. All of that is true, he says, for, because I will be merciful to their iniquities and I'll remember their sins no more. In speaking of new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So, how important is this matter of forgiveness? I want to talk about forgiveness from a covenantal point of view, which means we need to talk about sin from a covenantal point of view. Uh, what is sin? Well, we can go to etymology of words, harmatia, and the different words of missing the mark and transgressing the law and all that. But the, the big picture of sin in the Old Testament from which we get a concept in the New Testament, since the New Testament fulfills the old, is that sin is idolatry. It is refusing to acknowledge God as our covenant Lord 
as the source of everything we need, and it's going after some substitute. So idolatry is trusting something other than God to meet the needs that only God can legitimately meet. The need for security, the need for significance, the need for intimacy, for instance. When when we choose something other than God for those desires, those God-given desires, we commit the sin of uh, idolatry. After committing the sin of idolatry, then we're disobedient to his word. Because if God is not the author, if he's not the source, then we don't listen to his instructions. So we disobey his word, and then we give ourselves to the substitute, and that's where we normally identify sins. We These are actually the fruit of the sin of idolatry. But in doing that, we yield authority to that God, to that alternate God, to that substitute. And we become slaves to it. Okay, it would work like this. <clears throat> okay, God give us a desire for uh, security. Okay, he says, I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I'm responsible for you. Uh, I made heaven and earth. I have all the resources. I'll take care of you. Walk in my ways. We uh, listen to the lies of the devil and say, I think I can get security by gaining enough money. So we make money an idol, materialism, and so we... We choose that and we start living a life of greed. We cheat, we, we finagle, we manipulate, whatever, because money is the big deal. And ultimately, we become slaves to this mentality which makes us, in essence, a thief. We, we, don't, uh, we don't handle our stuff. We don't handle our money properly. And so we are now in bondage to a way of thinking that causes us to always put money ahead and make decisions based on how we get more, how we keep what we have, whatever. And so that's bondage. A person in that kind of bondage cannot worship God freely. Their, their conscience is not clear. They, they don't see God as the source they have made a substitute God, their God, and they are in bondage to greed, in bondage to cheating, in bondage to stealing. Though they would never want to say it that way, rationalize them. Take another one. Another God-given drive is uh, significance. God made us to be his special image bearers in the earth. We say, well, I, I need honor. I need, uh, I need respect. I, I, need, uh, I need to be recognized. I, I need significance. So instead of choosing to trust God for that, we trust our own performance and we look toward men, to men's approval. And so now we become performance-oriented and ultimately... Uh, controlled by pride or 
more likely shame. Because when you base your significance on performance, you ultimately will fail. And when you fail, shame takes over. You, you can't worship God freely, full of shame, nor can you work creatively or productively if you're full of shame. So you're in bondage. Or take a, a third drive, uh, the drive for intimacy. God made us, you know, he made man and woman to be attracted to each other and to have intimacy as a reflection of the intimacy God has with himself and desires to have with us. So he gives us this drive for intimacy, but instead of satisfying it God's way, we look for intimacy in sexual pleasure. And then we wind up in lust and can't, can't control it. And then finally in perversion. So, so sin starts with idolatry. It, it moves to disobedience and ends up in bondage. So when, when God forgives us, when we turn to him and he forgives us, he deals with all of those issues. He doesn't just wipe the slate clean and give you a ticket to heaven, which is what a lot of people think forgiveness is. It's like, okay, I've been forgiven. When I die and go to the pearly gates, you know, Peter's going to look at the record and he's going to see that, that, that Jesus has forgiven me. And so I get, to, I get to go in. You know, forgiveness is not so much about getting you into heaven. Forgiveness is about heaven coming to earth and you being a partner with God on the things of this earth. If, uh, if sin is covenantal in our understanding of what really is going on, then what's forgiveness? Well, forgiveness in the Old Testament, the big picture is you're delivered from exile. Because when Israel, in covenant with God, would commit idolatry and then wind up doing all kind of silly, stupid things, because they were in bondage, they, were, they lost their land and they became servants, slaves, if you will, to foreign powers. Uh, a great picture of what happens to us. We become slave to principalities and powers and the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, Ephesians chapter 2. Slaves of the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians chapter 2. So Israel is in, enslaved, if you will. They're in, in exile. And when, when God takes the case, when God says, I, it's now time for me to act, and he acts to restore his people, he delivers them from exile. That means they're restored back to their original purpose. That means the stipulations of the covenant have been fulfilled. Both the active stipulations of you need to live this way. These are the positive things I want you doing. And the passive in that he has paid the penalty for the violations. You might remember Isaiah 40 talking about Israel's captivity into Babylon. And there comes a time when Isaiah says, okay, your 70 years basically is up. You've paid the penalty. You've paid double for your sins. And so 
God is now going to restore you. But the old covenant could not deal permanently with sins. It, it can only deal temporally. Sacrifices had to be continually made. There had to be priests in the in the temple continually offering sacrifices. But God has acted in history to enact, inaugurate, launch a whole new covenant. And that covenant is when God himself says, I will come through my son and I will do the covenant for you. So Jesus came as our covenant partner representing us. He lived up to the covenant, everything that was required. He paid the penalty of our violation. And when we believe him, we become in him and we are in covenant with Christ. So everything that he has done, every victory he has won, is ours not because we did it on our own, but because he did it in our behalf and we are trusting him. So when someone asks us, who are you? We might want to say, well, let me tell you who I'm in covenant with. It might give you a better understanding. I'm in covenant with Jesus, the God-man, the one who has made covenant with eternal God and has settled the issue. My sins are forgiven. My conscience has been cleared. The shame has been washed away. I have been restored to be a real human, a human that can again partner with God in discovering and developing this creation so that his glory will fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. So so forgiveness is a whole lot more than just getting a clean slate. Uh, Forgiveness is Jesus defeating our enemies. Uh, He comes and he himself does what's necessary to attack the enemy, uh, to attack our captors, and to defeat them. You see, when God takes your case, he makes Pharaoh let you go. He makes Cyrus send you home. He makes the Greeks lend you their language so you can preach the gospel to all nations. He makes Rome build you roads so you can carry the gospel to every nation. He makes Pilate wash his hands. He makes the debt, he makes the grave give up its tenant. He makes shame cover its own face. He makes condemnation shut its mouth. He restores all things in Christ so that in heaven and earth come together where Jesus Christ is Lord over everything and you're in him. God does not leave us in sin and just give us a pass to get to heaven. He actually delivers us from the power of bondage, from the, from the uh, enslavement to our own sins. He did that through his death. And he has attributed 
the benefits of his death to us so that everything that controlled us died on the cross with him. There's an interesting story in uh, the book of Acts. Lots of interesting stories in the book of Acts. This one's in chapter 4. It is when, uh, you know, after Pentecost and the early church has gotten started, and they're meeting every day down at the temple, and the disciples, the apostles, are teaching what they've learned about Christ and how he's the fulfillment of all Old Testament promises and so forth. And these people are enamored with, with, with this new thing. And uh, one day Peter and John are walking into that area and they run upon a man who's been begging his whole life and he asks for alms and they, you remember the story, Peter said, I don't have any money but I'll give you what I have. I have the name of Jesus. I'm paraphrasing it a little bit, but I'm in covenant with somebody. <clears throat> and I have the name of Jesus, and uh, why don't you rise and take up your bed and walk? And this man who's been in that case a long time, 40 years, this man gets up and walks around. So it's not a, it's not a magic trick, and it's not something that they can, that the people can dismiss lightly because they've known this guy 40 years. He, he's not a stranger in town. They've known him. And, and think of all the atrophy that must have been in his muscles, and yet he's, he's leaping and praising God and whatever. And so it's pretty, pretty amazing. So they're, they're not wanting this uh, sect, this cult, as they would call Christianity at that point. They weren't wanting that to spread, so they called them in and, and you know, put them through the ringer and basically said, we want you to quit preaching in this name uh, because uh, you guys are, are not all that smart and you don't have degrees from reputable universities and, you know, you don't, you don't, who you are is not impressive. But this name that you're operating in uh, we don't know what to do with it. So, uh, so quit it. And that's when Peter and John said, you know, well, you'll have to judge whether we should obey God or man, but we can't stop speaking in this name. We're, that's who we are. We're in covenant with him and we have his name. So, uh, they, the, the, the chief leaders and, and so forth didn't know what to do with them. So, so they sent them away. So I'm going to pick up reading there. Uh, this is Acts 4.23. And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, he's quoting from Psalm 2 now, why did the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, 
to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So, so let, let's interpret that. In Psalm 2, David had said, Why do the nations rage and mock at God? Why, why are they so against him? And why do they mock his anointed and put him down and try to eliminate him? So what David is understanding is that behind all the nations that are godless, there are principalities and powers, spiritual authorities that are using these nations as a front for the battle that's going on in the heavenlies. And so he says, the nations gather together, they, they want to deny God, they want to, to mock God, make fun of his people, make fun of his anointed. And uh, the nations are doing it because they are puppets in the hands of spiritual authorities. But there will come a day, says David, when God will laugh and he will say, I've set my king on my holy hill and he will be given the nations and it's not going to go well for you, for, the, for, the, for those spirits. Now look, here is what Peter and John saw. They saw that that day when God would get in one locale all of these principalities and powers that rule the nations, he would get them all in one locale and they would, in their concentrated form, come against God's anointed, the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, and they would do their worst. And they did. In the days when Christ was on trial, when he was going through the Passion. We had Rome there, imperial Rome, with the powers of hell that was motivating it. We had the paganism of the Gentiles, all the superstition and stuff that the Gentile religions had. And we had the blindness and the hypocrisy of the Judaistic legalism, religion, all the spirits that work with man-made religion was being exemplified and displayed in the Jewish leaders of that day. So you're, you have concentrated in Jerusalem on that day the powers, the principalities that rule. And they threw their best at Jesus. And he absorbed their accusations, their deceptions, whatever, in the midst of their doing his worst, he took the wrath of God upon him, paid the penalty of sin, and set his people free. They were doing their worst. They didn't know they were fulfilling the preordained plan of God. And when Jesus died, 
he defeated those powers. Now, Peter and John are in a similar situation. Well, they're they're in a situation where these leaders, these uh, people who are more politically concerned about keeping their job than they are about finding truth, have brought them in and are threatening to beat them and whatever. And so their prayer is a, an application of what had just happened on the cross. And so they said, okay, we are partners with God now. We have been restored to, to what true humanity is. We are now partners with God, like Adam in the, in the garden. Adam and Eve, partners with God, enjoying God, clear conscience, talking to God, hearing from God, working with God, discovering uh, all the treasures he'd hid, hidden in uh, creation and developing that to his glory. But when they sinned, they, they were alienated from God and, and the whole mess came into the human race. But now Jesus, the last Adam, has come, has fulfilled the covenant that God had made with man. He, and, and so Jesus has come as the ultimate Israelite to fulfill the covenant that God had made with Israel. And so Jesus acts as Israel. Jesus acts as Adam. And so he defeats the enemy and not only forgives the sin of his believers, but restores them to the place of using his authority, since they're in covenant with him, to get done what he wanted them to get done. So Peter and John, the other disciples said, he told us, to take the gospel to the ends of the world. He told us that he'd be with us no matter where we went till the end of the age and that we are to preach forgiveness and repentance to the whole world. That's our assignment. Now, these people who are motivated by spirits, demonic spirits, devilish spirits, these people who are trying to stop that, so based on the victory that was won at the cross, based on the fact that we have been taken out of exile, we're, asked, we're praying, and we're praying with confidence. And here's what we pray. We're praying that you would give us boldness to preach the gospel, because when the gospel is preached, it is the power of God unto salvation. When the gospel is proclaimed, the Spirit of God comes with that gospel and raises people from spiritual death and forgives people of sin and gets people out of bondage and restores them to God's purpose in life. And so if the enemy can do anything, it'll stop the proclamation of that gospel. And so that's what these guys are doing. They think they're just saving their political lives, but actually they're trying to stop the gospel and uh, Jesus died so it wouldn't get stopped. So so they're praying in light of the authority and the victory that was won at the cross. So they, they pray, uh, Lord, give us boldness. And while we're at it, while we're preaching the gospel, while we're proclaiming this forgiveness, you stretch out your hand and do some signs and wonders. Heal people, do signs and wonders. You see, it's a great privilege to be a partner with God, isn't it? That was the original intent. God created Adam and Eve to be partners with him. And so now, Peter and John are saying, hey, we're back. We can partner with God. We preach, God performs.
We tell the truth. He confirms the truth. And if it if there's needed some signs and wonders, he'll do that. You see, the gospel is a part of a whole new creation. And so the fact that God would do signs and wonders is showing that the future has broken into the present, that uh, that God's reality is now invaded man's reality and that miracles are, are just normal in God's reality. God does what God does. It's no problem for him to feed 5,000. It was no problem for him to heal. It's no problem for him to raise the dead, to cast out demons. It was no problem. We are not Jesus, so we're not living in that stage where we're having to be Jesus. We're living after the cross where we have been restored to be partners with God. And our greatest privilege and power is prayer, prayer and proclamation. So they prayed and God answered their prayer. The place was shaken and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And if you read the rest of the story, People, people began to hear. Uh, people began to come to Christ. The church was birthed and began to spread. And the gospel began to spread and went to Samaria, and went, went to the Gentiles, ultimately gets to Rome before Paul is put in prison there. So the whole known world is touched because God has set his people free from exile and has defeated the enemy so that they can pray and enforce that defeat, enforce their, enforce their victory. Now you need to know that though all the work on the cross has been done, all the work of getting us out of, delivering us from exile has been accomplished, but it's not automatic. God lets us participate in the whole thing through faith. Why? Why didn't he just do all that so it's automatic now? We don't have to deal with the whole thing. Because God has always wanted mankind to trust him. That's always been the case. That's the relationship. He wants us to trust him, wants us to know him, wants us to enjoy. We're partners. But he's not just interested in some workers out there who have authority and power. He wants us to trust him. To trust him for what? To trust him. Trust him for the satisfaction of our security, our significance, our intimacy. But yes, to trust him for the authority to do what he's told us to do. We will get the job done. We will preach the gospel to the nations. He will partner with us. He will do signs and wonders to confirm, to show the world that a new creation has dawned because a new covenant has been launched. So it's a big thing to be forgiven. To be forgiven by Christ is to be in covenant with him. And because you're forgiven, God has said, you'll no longer have to go by the law written outside. He will write his law in your heart. He's done that through the Holy Spirit coming to live within you. You'll no longer have to teach one another to say, know the Lord, you're going to know him, not just know about him, not just know facts and instructions, but know him. And you know, no longer have to try to be somebody because he said, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. 
All of those are benefits that we get because we have been forgiven. Because we live in covenant with God. So my question to you, in this day when everybody else is asking, who are you? I want to ask you, who are you in covenant with? If your answer is Jesus, you're in for an adventurous and victorious ride. Father, I pray that you would cause this truth to settle down deep into our hearts and that we would embrace the privilege and the uh, and the authority and power that you've given to us and that we would rejoice that we have been forgiven. Our conscience is clean because of the shed blood of Christ. Our past is, is taken care of. You've chosen to remember our sins no more. Sin has not just been temporarily rolled back. It has been permanently eliminated. And I thank you for giving us the privilege of being your partners on the earth. There are lots of things, lots of places where darkness prevails and things are contrary to your will. So as we walk into those and as we see ourselves as your delegates and emissaries, we look forward to praying and proclaiming and then seeing you stretch forth your hand. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Dudley Hall from Kerygma Ventures. Additional copies of this resource, as well as a wide range of discipleship materials, is available from our website. You may make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Dudley Hall or Kerygma Ventures, please visit us online at www.kerygmaventures.com. That's K-E-R-Y-G-M-A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S dot com.